humans, welcome to Palin' Around, the official Uppercut podcast. Here we'll be focusing on video games, fandom, pop culture, and how they all interact with the internet. My name is Caitlin, and joining me, as always, one half of the Cursed Mark Ruffalo fan club, one Jessica Cogswell. Hi, everybody. And also joining us, the lovely Kayla. Hi. And we have a very special guest today. Uh, he is an artist and a writer and an all-around cool dude. Our friend uh, Dylan Bishop is also here. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> so, so we've all been playing Pokemon. Is is the the cold intro? Yeah. Send tweet. <laughs> so uh, we've all been playing Pokemon. Um, what version does everybody have? I have sword. I, I've also got sword. I have shield. I also have shield. Ooh. Ooh, even split. Okay. And then Getting okay. what what starters did we all pick? Grooky gang, what up? <laughs> <laughs> I am also Grooky Gang and I, I love the like there's this like piece of fan art that I saw going around yesterday and it was Sobble with a shield and Score Bunny with a sword and Grookey with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> It was good, <laughs> and I'm I'm very I'm proud of my choice. I mean, I hate guns. That makes it sound like I'm like some like no, but uh, <laughs> the 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 imagery of the little monkey. There's that's something what about me. like I also hate guns, but there's something really funny about like tiny cute things holding guns threateningly. Yeah, it just reminds me of Monty like on every level. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> Monty's persona is actually just anything tiny holding a gun. <laughs> Uh, Dill, who did you pick? I think I know, but uh, I went Sobble Squad. Yeah, I figured. Ooh. I picked Score Bunny because I love a dumbass who wants to fight. Okay, oh wait, did y'all see? Somebody just retweeted it, and it was like the Dynamax, whatever the Score Bunny's like second evolution was, like Raboot. going ham on this Wooloo, and this Wooloo did not even move. <laughs> did you see that? <laughs> No, oh, it was, I'll send it to y'all. It's it's so funny, but it, he looked so badass, and this Wooloo's just like don't even care. Like it's <laughs> fine, unbothered. <laughs> so we're having a good time with it. We're clearly enjoying it. But as I'm sure folks know, there has been a lot of controversy around this game. Um, and so we kind of wanted to talk about that, and not just the like. Not just the controversy in and of itself, but kind of the effect that it's having to where, like, actual, like, valid criticism of the game is kind of also being buried or, like, being seen as being in bad faith because of the controversy. So, um, Dill, you're kind of, like, the Pokemon expert here. Do you kind of want to give, like, a brief TLDR of what's been going on? Yeah, um, I mean, I think this probably goes back to about June or July, I forget when, but they, they basically announced, you know, not every Pokemon is going to be in this game. Uh, and they didn't say how many were, you know, weren't going to make the cut, but they basically said, you know, we are paring down the Pokedex. We're only going to put in a certain number of Pokemon. So we knew it would be a, a pretty good split between brand new stuff and some old favorites. And we, we knew for a while, you know, some of our old favorites were going to get cut. Probably legendaries, um, you know, starter Pokemon. I think people assume that, like, not necessarily trash things, but, you know, ones that we've got a lot of repeats of, of, like, birds and, you know, different bugs, things like that. We assumed those would probably be cut. Um, and then 
the the weeks leading up to this launch, the game started leaking on places like Reddit, uh, 4chan, Discord, um, and it you know you you did have some people in there like validly looking through the photos and the data mines and things that were happening and saying like, hey, they took out a lot from this game and they didn't really put a whole lot of new in to make up for that, especially for some of the hardcore fans, um, and that comes with some some criticism of the wild area that I can get into later. Um, but some of the biggest removals, they took out 500 of the now 900 Pokemon. They took out all mega evolutions, which could almost be seen as like brand new, de- like creature designs on their own. Um, and they took out Z moves. They took out about 80 different attacks, which were some of which were pretty big for like the competitive scene. Um, and they kept saying the reason for the cut was that they were, you know, they're making better animations. They're having to remake Pokemon models from scratch, like they they said they weren't reusing any models from Sun and Moon, um, and basically saying those two reasons uh, kind of gave fans targets, like they put targets on this game's back. Basically, um, as soon as you know Game Freak said that, fans were like, okay, well now we have to analyze every animation, every model in this game, and see if they're telling the truth to see if you know that removal was justified, and. Uh, basically what's been happening is uh, comparing the models of Sword and Shield to the models of, you know, Sun and Moon, X and Y. Um, not not like pictures, like they are actually taking the files from the game and like comparing them in modeling <laughs> programs. They are crazy similar. Like so similar that if they were making these from scratch, they probably wouldn't make them near pixel perfect because it's just impossible to do. So a lot of fans are saying that they probably didn't make new models from scratch. They just ported the old ones over, made minor adjustments, and gave them new textures, and that's the end of it. Which is still a lot to do, but that's also, you know, why why wouldn't you say that, you know? It it, it just it, it all comes down to removing old features and fans feeling like they didn't put enough new in to justify that. Okay. So yeah, I saw I saw like the Reddit posts that were um like comparing the wireframes or whatever. And I know in the article that I had read, they said that they still weren't confirmed if they were real or not. Do you know if that has been changed since then? I haven't seen anything, but um the people the the Twitter users those came from supposedly are the same people that like reliably hacked Sun and Moon and X and Y, mm. um, and I haven't seen anything. I feel like if it was disproven in the past few days, it would have blown up. Yeah, uh, and I still haven't seen anything. So yeah, so I guess the answer to that I guess is that, we don't know. <laughs> right, it, it that's still sort of ongoing, I guess. But um, but yeah, so I guess so the thing with it that sucks, right, is there's the whole. Uh, there's the hashtag the Game Freak lied hashtag and there was also something else too there was like labor concerns that came out of this too were than there about like Game Freak's staff like having super low morale and like not probably like crunching and stuff really badly I feel like I heard that yeah, too it was like um, I think it was Austin Walker that said something first about like mm-hmm. he had heard through some some sources that you know morale at Game Freak was really low because they were working on a they had two separate teams their other team was working on a game called uh, I think it was Little Town Hero. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the one with Toby Fox doing the music, right? Yeah, um, and I don't think a lot of people have really loved it. 
so that combined with the internet suddenly being aflame about Pokemon has kind of got morale low at Game Freak. Um, so as far as I know, there have been a few hashtags like targeting Game Freak since then, and then one counter hashtag that was uh, hashtag thank you Game Freak to try to bring morale back up. And I, I do know that like the art director of the game, James Turner, like specifically acknowledged that and said like thank you guys. I hope you still really like the game despite everything that's going on, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So they're at least hearing a lot of the criticism. Um, but that also means they're hearing a lot of the absolute dumpster fire uh, and, like, weird, you know, you know how the internet is, like, weird hate mobbing that's going on. And, like, I feel bad uh, for them about that part. Like, they shouldn't have to deal with that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I've seen so many posts about people calling the people who worked on that game lazy. Um you know, saying that they didn't care, just just things like that, things that, I mean, if you had spent the last X amount of years working on a game uh, only for it to release and for you to have to listen about, you know, listen to people tell you that, you know, you don't know how to do your job or you're lazy or you, you know, you don't care about the franchise. Like, that's that's not something that you want to hear. Yeah, well, and it also sucks as far as, the, like, the discourse around, like, reusing the assets or whatever, because, like, that's such a big part of game dev. Like, I don't know very much about game dev at all, but one thing I've consistently heard is that, like, reusing assets and using stuff that other people have, like, made and put on the Unity marketplace or, like, whatever, like, that's a big part of making game dev, like, tenable. And so it sucks that, like, they said shit that, like, I don't know. I feel like I don't agree that they lied, but, like, it just... You know, like, it, it, the way that it was phrased is just, like, really hard. Right, and some of that is, like, I think notoriously where that came from was, like, a, a Japanese interview uh, in Famitsu. So, yeah. like, it might be some weird translation error that, like, absolutely no one has picked up. Um, But, like, the two sides of it I see are this. it If, if they are reused models, uh, why did we need a cut anyway? We could have, you know, brought the all 800 or whatever over um but personally like i'm still having a lot of fun with this game i don't think anyone at all will notice it until the post game like when you've beat the game and you're trying to play online and like build a team or whatever and i think a, a vast majority of players won't even notice that because i think a lot of people will play this so casual it doesn't matter and another thing is i don't know if they fully clarify in that interview that they're talking about pokemon models um but if you play through this, it's pretty evident that everything else was like, I mean, like Jessica said, like you can't call them lazy or passionless. Like it's very clear. They put love into this game. Like all of the towns, all of the environments are just like so detailed. Yeah. They're and beautiful. So, like, I yeah. like, I got to the, I don't remember what it's called, but the city with the like fluorescent mushrooms. Um, I got there last night and I was like screaming about how pretty it was. It's like the coolest thing I've ever seen in a Pokemon game in my life. Well, even from like the very, and once again, I've only played an hour and a half of this game. I'm in like the second town. I am not very far. So I, I can't weigh on it, weigh in on, you know, the later stuff. But just from the beginning, when you first go into that forest b behind your house, I was like, holy shit, this is like the prettiest thing I've seen in a, in a Pokemon game. Like this, this doesn't like, this is completely different. Um, and I don't know, I get the sense just in the two places that I've been that 
that's what they were going for is they wanted to make this entirely new environment. Um, I just, I don't know how you could see this and how you could be playing this and, and feel like there's any, any part of these people were lazy or passionless. Yeah. It's so different and cool. Well, especially too, because I know there's been parts of the controversy that we're like talking about, because they, they mentioned something about they really wanted to do like dope animations for this. And I know they've gotten flack for that too. But like, some of the animations are incredible. Like score bunnies, like kicks, ki- different kick moves are all different. And like, they all are so detailed. Like, when you do pyro ball, it fucking rules. I wish it had more PP just because I want to use it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only like issues that I've ever like come across so far is only when I'm like connected to internet in the wild areas because like I think that's just gonna happen when you're in a game like that. Um, like I'll have random people like spawn on top of me, like riding their bikes and stuff, and the Pokemon are kind of glitchy, but that's only in the wild areas connected to internet which i feel like is acceptable because you can't really blame that on anybody it's kind of an internet thing um but i saw somebody was screenshotting um like which pokemon was it there was like actual pokemon animations that like were a little messed up trying to think of which one it was it's the like little water one that kind of looks like a jellyfish no. Mm-hmm. no not not it's not uh, first gen it's like there's like the newer ones yeah. i think it's like frillish or maybe something. um but like the animation like around its face was like messed up and i was like that was like like you had to like really hunt for that <laughs> like so right. even then i was like uh like shit's gonna happen but mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and I I guess I kind of want to pivot into, like, now that we're talking about, like, actual valid criticisms, like, I do want to talk about, like, the valid criticisms that have been out there and then kind of how that conversation has been really muddled. Um, So, again, Dill, I know you were kind of, when we've been having this conversation in other, like, discords and stuff over the past few weeks, you've been the one who's kind of been like, hey, here's, like, stuff that's actually worth talking about that's being buried. Mm -hmm. So, like, do you want to get into some of that? Yeah, it just... I I don't... I kind of felt like I was going crazy the past week. Like, um, because I... I, Like, I've had friends that aren't a part of the the hate mobbing or, like, weird other online discourse that have just, like, noticed things missing from this Pokemon game and, like, decided they didn't want to buy it yet. Um, like they said, they're either holding off for reviews or like waiting for our opinions or just straight up not getting it. They're, like they're waiting for, you know, an ultra sword and shield or whatever they want to call it. Um, and then I go on Twitter and I see just so many people that in their defense of Game Freak want to like sweep any and all criticism associated with that, like hate mobbing under the rug, which I completely understand. Like it's associated with, you know, people harassing a developer. Like, you don't want to encourage that. But they're, you know, I I paid very close attention to those leaks, and I've even, you know, looked for as much as I can in the game itself as I'm playing through it. And, like, there there were a few valid things that have, you know, been going around that people are just kind of sweeping under the rug. And, like, I feel like as a journalist, that's probably not the best thing to do. Um, Like, we should kind of try to find the story of why they cut so many Pokemon 
and didn't give us, you know, a straight, honest answer about it, or, you know, why this game's shorter than some of the some of the other recent ones, or, you know, why they removed features like the GTS, Wonder Trade, why there's not really anything in the post-game besides a battle tower. Like, those are things that honest fans want to hear, not just a hate mob, but honest Pokemon fans want to hear. And I think that as journalists, we kind of owe it to an audience out there to ask those questions. Yeah. This really sucks because I'm in a Discord group with some like close friends and gamers and when there was like the hashtag first started and a lot of stuff was going on, somebody was like, Yeah, this you know, people are complaining, what a blah blah and I was like, Yeah, I mean, they're fair complaints, but at the same time they probably shouldn't be like attacking devs on Twitter. That's not the way to go about anything ever. And then like the response that I even got from some of my friends were like they were like, oh, you know, they, and they kept saying like they wanted a Pokemon game. And I was like, I <laughs> I am one of those people, hello, you know, and it was like, they wanted a Pokemon game that was like Breath of the Wild. And so now they're mad that things got cut out. And I was like, nobody wanted that. Like we didn't want a Breath of the Wild Pokemon game. We thought it was really awesome that it was going to be a little bit more open and things were going to be different. But on the, like outside the casual Pokemon player, the people who hardcore play every year have a system and we have a thing that we like to do and you want to catch all the pokemon you want to get the shiny charm like you want to do competitive stuff like you want to do the like trading there's so much stuff that you kind of have like feel left out on now and i think there's valid complaints but when people are attacking devs and like being really shitty all that does is make everybody look bad and make it seem like we can't complain so there's no medium and it really kind of sucks, but that's just on my end. Like I was still kind of like wanting more. Am I going to go attack a dev on Twitter? Like, no, that's nobody's fault. Like it's probably not even their decision. It's probably somebody higher up's decision. Right. So, so there's been like this back and forth, even with like my friends. I'm like, <laughs> I play Pokemon every year and I'm really sad about these things, but whatever. Yeah, and it gets into this whole larger argument, or I guess conversation, not really argument, um, that I feel like there could be a whole podcast series dedicated to, where it's just like the difference between bullying, harassment, which is a very obvious, you know what I mean? Like that that's less, I guess, um, insidious, um, versus entitlement versus criticism. You know, and I feel like there are so many people who struggle to kind of navigate what is what, Right. Um, you know, and it's not like it's necessarily something that has clear lines. Like I said, I mean, I feel like with, you know, harassment and, and bullying, like that's that's something that's a little bit more obvious. But I feel like people have a harder time navigating the line between entitlement and criticism. Right. Which and and this is. Yeah, it, yeah. Yeah, it, and it feels like such a weird issue. Like, if it's it's so easy to, you know, two sides this whole thing, and then it's also so hard when when one side is like trying to, you know, make the other side lose their jobs or call them lazy or mm-hmm. things like that. Like, they're just being general assholes. Like, it's hard to hard to do that. Um, but like, also the line is really blurred when it comes to Pokemon because so many features get like added and removed all the time mm-hmm. that like, you know. You can you can say like people wanting a post game or like a battle frontier or even having an entire Pokedex is entitlement, 
And like, in a way it kind of is, especially how most people are going about it and how most people are like whining about it. But at the same time, it's like, those are things we've had in past games multiple times. So like what, you know, like what's the line that suddenly turns it from like, oh, this is a valid criticism. Like they actually removed features to like, now you're just being entitled and wanting things back that you weren't going to get. Like it's, it's just hard to, it's hard to even discern specifically with this Pokemon controversy like not 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 the bullying and harassment like that's very easy to spot but like there there is a weird gray area even between like entitlement and actual criticism that like I can't figure out what's what anymore well, I think on it sorry Jess oh no you go go ahead go ahead my thing is like I guess it's hard as well it's like am I am I entitled am I feeling entitled to something when I've been playing a series for 20 years and every single year it's been the same thing And then, like, last year they were like, we're not going to release a game for Switch because we're working on something really important. So we're going to put out Let's Go. This is an awesome game that's going to hold you over, right? And then this game comes out and I can't have the full Pokedex, you know? Like, I can't have those things. And, like, am I raging about it? Like, no, I'm not fucking raging about it. I'm still playing the game. I'm having fun. But, like, do I still feel like I'm missing out on something? Yes, 100%. And would I like to know? like for sure why I'm missing out on that yes and like maybe that is entitlement but also like I just want to know what's up like why didn't we have these things that we're so used to having yeah well that's where the conversation gets really hard to me especially because like I think about this is like a weird comparison maybe but like I think about Joe and I on our fallout boy podcast talk a lot about like the fan reaction to the band changing um post like infinity on high and stuff And it kind of reminds me of this and like the sense of like you get people used to something and then you change it. Um, anyway. Um, but yeah, it's hard when you like, like, because if if nothing else, like so many things about the Pokemon games change, but the gotta catch them all thing is like such an ingrained part of the ethos. Like it was literally the tagline for the TV show and like. It's hard because like on the one hand, I'm like, well, they should get to innovate and do things differently and if there are technical limitations or whatever which i think is a bigger deal than they're letting on honestly because it seems like from what i've heard developing for the switch is a little bit tricky right yeah Mm -hmm. um in a way that's like weird especially considering like you know they used to develop for like smaller less powerful handhelds um but like all we hear over and over again is like like switch ports are weird and hard and like it's just a whole thing. But so, like, I don't know, because, like, you got your audience so conditioned to be into something and, like, to the point where you probably encouraged it too much to where now they're kind of rabid about it versus, like, like, it's not like a, it's their fault thing, but I do wonder, like, what they expected, I guess. You know, I think the biggest thing with this and, like, it, it's so hard because, like, Dylan, you said earlier, there's that kind of jerk response to where, you know, valid criticism isn't being heard because of course you want to defend a company and defend this series that has brought so much joy into people's lives when you have people who are just flat out being assholes about it. You know what I mean? Like it's that, it's that knee jerk, like, okay, I want to jump in front of this because you guys are being awful. But at the same time, like, I think that there was a way that people could have reasonably asked for, um, I guess to see a little bit more of the vision and have a little bit more transparency because to a lesser extent, this is kind of how I felt with Breath of the Wild, which seems baffling probably because I know a lot of people like 
love that game. And that was like a new level for Zelda. Um, But for me, someone who's been a lifelong fan of the Legend of Zelda series, that game kind of bummed me out a little bit. Like, it was really cool. Um, You know, and I I got into it. But even when I first started initially playing it, and and when I got to like the temples, and I saw how different everything I was, because the Legend of Zelda series has always been very formulaic. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, you go to the three elemental temples or whatever, you get these three things, you you know, you get a new tool in each temple, you come out, something happens, you have five more that you have to go, you know, it's, it's very like, it's, it has that formula, it sticks to it. And I loved it. (laughs) I would play a million games, knowing that that was the formula that they used and just kind of going through the motions. Um, You know, for me, it was like the environments and the tools that you got and the puzzles that's like really, really shaped, you know, made it different. Um, Whereas like the shrines just felt like, okay, I can go do these. But there, it wasn't that same satisfaction of like moving forward with the story as you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess the thing with, with me is like, I saw the vision they had executed. I saw like why they were doing this. And I saw like how this game wasn't necessarily, like I saw how it kind of harkened back to the first Zelda game um, and kind of it, it seemed more like what something that they maybe wanted to do but didn't have you know, that technology, I guess, limited at the time. Um, And I realized the game wasn't just for me. Like, I might be a really big Legend of Zelda fan, but I am not the really big Legend of Zelda fan, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, seeing the response everybody had to it and the team kind of execute this vision, I was like, okay, I get it. Like, I, this game is not my game. It's not my favorite Zelda game. It's probably not even in my top three. That actually definitely isn't in my top three. Um, But I got it. And I feel like if Game Freak maybe had been more open about what they were doing, maybe things would have been a little bit different. I th- I think that's honestly like a super fair comparison to make. Um I think th- I think the main difference is like with Zelda cuz I'm I'm like you. I loved the actual like formula uh like the formula of Zelda. I loved going through the dungeons. I still wish we had, you know, more Zelda style dungeons in Breath of the Wild. I think that would have fixed a lot of my problems with it. Yeah, I absolutely um, agree. Um I think the the like the stark difference between these two and I think this fault kind of lies with Game Freak still, um just in a weird way is um beyond just the core Zelda fans, the the kind of criticism of Zelda before Breath of the Wild, the sort of discourse was that, you know, it feels stagnant. It feels like it's too formulaic even though like that's what the fans really enjoyed um it felt like you know skyward sword people just said like they they tried to innovate in a few ways they didn't like the innovations and then they also didn't like the weird ways it held to like old zelda tradition so at that point nintendo was forced to go back to the very beginning scrap you know most of the conventions they had uh in their heads as far as what a zelda game is and isn't and build everything back up from square one. Mm-hmm. Pokemon, on the other hand, with Sun and Moon, it seems like they really tried to go for a casual market that just wasn't biting. I mean, you still had people like Caitlyn who, I mean, like, Caitlyn, I'm, I'm going to assume you probably saw things about Sun and Moon and thought, yeah, that's cool, but I'm not going to, you know, run out and buy a 3DS to play one. Yeah. Um. So Sun and Moon was them trying to market it down to casuals that just didn't want to play Pokemon, and they also started to lose more of the hardcore base, just, I mean, they started to, not, you know, uh, 
Like I'm, I, I would consider myself more of a hardcore fan with like collecting and trying to build teams. And um, even I had a few complaints with Sun and Moon. So in, instead of listening to that sort of discourse and saying like, okay, so our vision for this was, you know, to capture casuals, it didn't work. So maybe we should turn a little more to the hardcore fans and the casuals can still enjoy it while the hardcore fans would be, you know, even more thrilled. Maybe that would work like it did with, with Zelda. We could listen to the criticisms a little bit. They instead have decided to sort of do both in a weird way. Like they've, they, they're trying to appeal to casuals by like, putting in, you know, fan favorites and still making it kind of an easy game with experience share, making it pretty. But, and and even the people that, you know, don't play Pokemon, but say like, oh, I would play, you know, if it was an open world game like Breath of the Wild. They've tried to, you know, even appease those fans. And they've also tried to appease the hardcore players by making certain aspects of competitive training easier. But I feel like they sort of drop the ball on both counts. I'm I'm not sure... Um, how well Sword and Shield will do at getting casuals back in. Um, I mean, it seems like it's doing okay so far, but like that remains to be seen. And then obviously we've got like hate mobs forming on the other side for more hardcore players, so it seems like they're not really pleased either. And I, I just can't help but feel like if they would have, you know, taken the Zelda technique, scraped the board clean, and either went back for all casuals like they do with Let's Go, or all hardcore like what they made it sound like they were going to do with Sword and Shield... I think this would have turned out a lot better in their favor as far as like public opinion goes. Mm-hmm. I completely agree. Um, I have always like been a hardcore Pokemon fan. I didn't do competitive until X and Y. Um, and even then I was kind of really shitty at it. But like I thought X and Y was an amazing like revamp of the series. Like it was such a good time for like shiny hunting and like streaming like people really getting back into the game and getting people onto like the hardcore side and then when sun and moon dropped it was like too different it was too different Mm -hmm. and the even the shiny hunting portion was a little off like i played i've played every single pokemon game through caught all the pokemon like got my shiny charm and gone on with my life sun and moon was the only game where like I think I even got the shiny charm and then I didn't play after because I was like not into it. It was just it was too different for me. And I was like, oh, whatever, you know, and then like the remakes came out. That was great. Loved it. And then they were like I said, they were just hyping us up for a new game on Switch. And I just feel like I, I think they dropped the ball again. I'm having fun. Having said that, like I'm having fun. But am I going to come back to this consistently probably not because there's like you know correct me if i'm wrong is the x you can't turn the experience share off right correct so if i want to like start a new game save and do like a fun like competitive series or like something like that there's basically no way for me to do that because you have to play with the x share like the entire game so things like that, it's kind of a bummer. It's a bummer for like people who are really, really into that because they wanted to make it an easier game for people to play, like for the more casual people. Um, so things like that. I mean, I don't, I haven't looked at any of the shiny hunting stuff as of now. I think they have to do with the raid battles. I think. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying not to spoil anything for myself too much. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of nervous because 
I don't I don't know. I don't know how this is going to be, but it, it's it's a bummer for me personally because I was already let down by Sun and Moon and I was hoping for like another X and Y, I guess, but yeah. Okay. So I have two thoughts and I'm going to vocalize both of them and then just so I don't forget them and then we can keep going. So one is I guess the idea of like what makes a Pokemon Pokemon and like what like y'all harder core people expect from it as far as like what's good. But then the other thought that I was having was like God, I already forgot it. Um <laughs> but like thinking about I guess the weird middle ground of like bringing people back in cuz like for me this game like I didn't want to play Sun and Moon cuz I heard about the gym challenge thingies and I was like that sounds stupid I don't want to do that <laughs> it was stupid <laughs> and then but then in this game I like that they do like there are still like it's not just like you know you walk through the weird maze or whatever and fight a bunch of people and then you get to the gym later like I like that every challenge has been different um like the fairy gym one is dope I love it I don't know if y'all have gotten there yet but it rules um and like I like that they've been mixing it up in that way and then you still have like the normal gym leader battle um but like yeah so I don't know I guess let's just go with the first one because I don't think that was my actual point but like so well yeah I think those are like I I can I can answer that while still relating it back to the first one because I think I think you're right. I think the new gym challenges are actually like such a great change of pace. One of the only things I actually liked from Sun and Moon were those like, I think they called them trials where, you know, before that gyms used to just be, you solve a super easy puzzle and battle a few trainers and then you battle the gym leader. And it was like that for like six different generations. Mm -hmm. So to have Sun and Moon be like, why don't you do something a little more quirky and then do a hard gym battle at the end? And this is like a solid mix of those where it's like, do something quirky, do a few small fights, and then end it in one really big climactic fight. Um, and I think that is a really good way to like capture both people's attention at the same time. They combined uh, like something old with something new, like they just lightly tweaked it. Um, and I think they had the formula really good around probably diamond and pearl black and white sort of x and y where it was like you can still play the normal game and have quirky things going on still have your you know casual style story pokemon and me where you can pet pokemon feed them berries you know you you can do your contests like you could in in like uh, ruby and sapphire or bake them bread or whatever it was supposed to be in diamond and pearl poffins i think they were called um and then once you get to the end of the game for the casual people that's where you would hop off and for the more hardcore players, sometimes that's where the game begins. It's almost like an MMO. And that's how it used to be up until around X and Y, I think, is where it started to wane a little bit. And Sun and Moon is where it, it's like at its absolute lowest. Is You used to have things like the Battle Frontier, which were like genuinely difficult fights that you had to like specifically curate your team to try to finish that. And that is just gone in, in like all all uh recent entries you used to have different like areas that would suddenly open up with super high level pokemon with like special items and and attacks and things you could find in like weird caves and you'd have to like 
you know, train your party super high up just to even fight the trainers and, and go through this little maze. And like, that's just not there anymore. It's like, once you beat the game, they want you to stop playing Pokemon for some reason. Um, and I think that's sort of where this criticism comes from. People want, I mean, people like Pokemon, they just want to keep playing it and they want to play it with the Pokemon they've known, you know, their entire lives. Um, so for them to cut over half the Pokedex and thereby cut over half your favorites and then also take out, you know, things that happen after you take on the Elite Four, after you become the champion, is like, you took away two of my favorite reasons to play my favorite series and left me with the, you know, the, the storyline that ends in about 15, 20 hours and then that's over. Like, I wanted something that would, you know... I could I could come back to on like a bad day and just kind of whittle away some hours in uh until the next one comes out. Yeah. Yeah. That that makes complete sense to me. And I think that's that's definitely the fair way to feel. I guess the question just keeps coming back to me of like do they owe it to us though? You know what I mean? And like I think that's where this conversation has gotten so tricky cuz I think technically the answer is no. But because, like, I mean, if you're a creative making something like you're, you know, it's up to you is what you put in or don't. But it's hard when you've literally raised a generation of people on your games with certain expectations. And like, I just I feel like we live in a weird time period where like this is the first time where like people our age have like grown up with a series their whole life and have gotten used to something um and set expectations for it and then there's never been a reason to teach people to manage those expectations and i don't think game freak or nintendo has ever thought that they would have to do that and then now we're here and there's no like healthy or productive way to like talk about it easily because twitter is just like always a nightmare and like it gets I feel like it's like what we talked about earlier where they're like the valid criticism gets overcorrected because people don't want to be associated with hate mobs. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't know, it's just weird. And you bring up a good point like it it makes you ask like are we entitled to these things and if not like then then who's this game for? Like I I feel like black and white was for longtime Pokémon fans that were you know maybe sick of the monotony you got brand new designs and then at the end of the game you could still go back and use all of your old pokemon and still build those competitive teams and there was still a lot of post game stuff and then this one I'm like I don't fully know who it's for um because they've even removed some casual features like my girlfriend used to love just petting pokemon and they've removed you know petting things like feeding berries to pokemon like actually having them chomp it out of your hands They've removed that. They've removed some of her favorites. They've removed some of my favorites, and they've removed things like the post-game. So it's like you start cutting things on all sides and start putting things in that no one super asked for. And it's just... that That's also where I'm with you. It's hard to find the entitlement line. Like, no, I don't feel entitled to this series. But, like, I was the one that was playing it for so long, so who you know like what audience did they try to capture by changing this yeah well i think with this specifically it's hard because like they taught like they like trained people to like i the thing i get the most and sympathize the most with not the angry discourse but like people being confused and upset 
is the losing the national decks only because the the core of the series was the gotta catch them all thing and they like trained mm-hmm. people to care about that and so then removing it for and not explaining well why that happened because i do think they just like i don't think the message was clear enough honestly um not that they deserved being attacked over it but like yeah there's just like some communication issues there um so like i get it but yeah i don't know like it's just weird because they're allowed to make whatever fucking game they want to but right yeah the choices surrounding it are kind of strange um dill do you think that like the overcorrection for like criticism like coming from journalists especially is like kind of a reaction to how like we're treated online just like generally i Honestly, I've been thinking about that a lot, and I, I think it is. I think I think we're so used to getting hate mobbed by, like... And, like, you can say this removed from the situation. It, it, is, it is definitely probably a vocal minority that hate mobs a lot of journalists. Like, mm-hmm. I think the, just the fact that articles get read uh, shows that there is an audience that we do serve that just, you know, maybe they don't put out waves of positivity like that, you know, that tiny core hate mob i guess puts out waves of negativity um so i think to watch it happen to game freak i think a lot of people have sort of a knee-jerk reaction where we're like okay not again mm-hmm. like i'm not going to let this happen to a developer that's you know just trying their best which like we said like it's obvious they have tried on this game like even even if there was something you know behind the scenes that went wrong that means a few features were cut like what is here is very well put together and very passionate. So to see them pour their heart into that and like people start accusing them of being lazy and you know the same way they accuse us of being paid off it's like no I'm not going to take this anymore. Like I'm not even going to listen to your complaints. I'd rather just defend Game Freak, which is I think it's it's valid. Like I don't blame people for doing that. Yeah. It's honestly that's a very interesting thing to bring up because, um, yeah, God, I feel like it is just definitely in in my nature, and I feel like a lot of our natures um, to, I guess, when you feel like you're somebody who is treated differently by people. I don't know. I, I don't know. That's that. I guess that was just a really cool thing to bring up, honestly, Caitlin. So I'm really glad that you did. Um, you just get used to being attacked by certain types of people that you kind of jump to the defense of other people when they're going through the same thing. Yeah. And I mean, I just think about it through the lens of like us, right? Like we've all dealt with bullshit online and even like, I mean, we even made a game freak joke, like to sell our fucking merch. (laughs) Um, But like, it just, like, I always think about the state of criticism because I care about games criticism and There just seems to be, like, I feel like it's, like, a larger symptom of, like, our culture not having a good grasp on, like, media literacy. And I feel like that makes me sound like an asshole. Like, I don't mean that, like, the general public is, like, stupid or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I just think that, like, not enough people have been given the tools to, like, like, to look critically at the things that they love. And I think that's what has created this culture of, like, gamer entitlement and, like, creating a personality around the media that you consume um because i think that kind of plays into this too of like hardcore pokemon fans like take pride in being hardcore pokemon fans and like 
mm-hmm. that gets super toxic really quickly because basing your entire fucking personality and identity around any one thing, especially something fictional, like can get so unhealthy so fast. And I feel like people don't have the tools to like really look at that and say like, oh, you know, this is, I'm too invested in this thing or I'm invested in it in a way that's unhealthy. Um, And it just kind of seems like there's not as much room in the discussion for that because again, like I don't think that we like as a culture have the tools for it. Even though like, which sucks because we have way more access to each other to talk, but we don't have like the tools to have better conversations. Right. Well, and, and it's been weird because like, you know, I freelance, I do writing, but I haven't really done any of that for a few months. So I've, I've almost been approaching Pokemon like I'm not a journalist in, in as strange as that sounds mm-hmm. like as, as though I've never written anything, I guess. Um, so like, you know, I, I started to feel some of the same criticisms I've seen other people feel. And then to see journalists suddenly say, I, like, because I have seen some journalists say none of them are valid. Like, none of the complaints are valid. If you complain about Pokemon, which is a kid's game, you're a joke, things like that. And it's like, there, there's a middle ground here. I think as an audience, there is a way for you to be silent and to criticize things you love without taking it to heart. Uh, taking it to heart, you know, that, that things are changed. Like, I I don't need to... It doesn't ruin my entire year that Pokemon's different. Like, I'm still excited to play it after this recording ends. Like, I'm going to go in there, play it with my girlfriend for a few hours, and, like, it's going to be one of the highlights of my day. And then, at the same time, I think, on the journalistic side of things, it's important to remember that, you know, just because it's being thrown with hatred doesn't mean there's not someone out there who feels it without the hatred, I guess. Like, there, there, can, there can still be valid criticisms in a silent majority that aren't being thrown around uh, in such a hateful way. Like, it, it, I think when, when you're getting those types of negative comments thrown around online, it's very hard to, like, truly remember who your audience is because sometimes we like to think our audience is exactly like us and believe the same exact things we believe. Um, and I think there's a little more nuance there than that. For sure. I guess I want to touch on the kids game thing, too, because I think that ties back into, like, so Pokemon first started in 1995, right? That's right, right? I think. Yeah, I think so. so, so it was 94, 95, something like that. So that was the year I was born. So I have never lived in a world without Pokemon. Um, and I feel like that's true for, like, a ton of people. Um, and even, like, there are folks who are, like, a little bit older than me or whatever who, like, did exist without Pokemon, but it came, like, at a very formative time in their lives. Um, and so I think it's, like, part of a weird thing that we're kind of seeing across media generally, where, like, franchises that are intended for children, but that had their roots with people who are now adults, are having, like, a really hard time, like, finding the middle ground there or like figuring out how to manage that because i think you want the nostalgia i mean like tons of people who are adults play pokemon or play zelda or are like watching she-ra but like i guess it does bring up the question of like who's the intended audience and it almost seems like a lot of these companies aren't sure either i think 
I think the problem there is like going on the assumption that like Pokemon was made for kids or that a game is made for kids. Mm -hmm. And like you don't, no one ever defines what kid is. Like I played Pokemon when I was five, Mm -hmm. but there were also kids who, you know, were like 13 and 14 playing Pokemon that still enjoyed it just as much. Like I think you can make a somewhat more mature game, maybe aimed at like teenagers or so with a lot of hooks in it for kids and it still technically be a kids game which is you know what i feel might have pokemon might have started as um but like you have games like final fantasy and like things on like the playstation one that you know people our age played when they were kids too and still enjoyed um i i just i don't fully buy that it has to be created and marketed solely as a kids game for it to work as a kids game um yeah also so first it came out in 96 in japan but the first game came out in 98 um in america so technically not until 1998 um and just because we grew up with pokemon and like i think it relates to us because of the nostalgia and because we were kids i don't think that means it's necessarily a kid's game. I mean, think about when Pokemon mm-hmm. Go launched. Was it just children running around with phones playing Pokemon? No. Mm-hmm. There was general like I'm boomers were out there going crazy. Like <laughs> all kinds of sorts of people and ages were playing Pokemon Go because Pokemon does hit those nostalgia points, but it was also just a really fun game. It got people out of their house and like catching on to this fun thing about gotta catch them all. Like I think you can say that it's a kid's game because it was marketed towards us as kids, but mm-hmm. that it's a game. Like, it's not like it's a learning game like that kids actually play. You know what I'm saying? Like, I yeah. don't know. That whole that whole narrative, I'm, I don't get that. I don't get that narrative at all. Because if you look at yeah. most people who are streaming the game, too... Are they children? No, they're not. Like the people who play competitively, most of them are like at least in their like like above like what 15, 16 years old. I wouldn't consider them children. Like, I don't know. I think what where it kind of becomes different for us, and I think this is something that just like maybe our generation is kind of one of the first ones to really have this. We talked a little bit earlier about how media has kind of become an identity for a lot of people and I think that being like kind of the first generation I mean I guess somewhat like late later gen x people kind of would have had this because that was around the time when you know you started having more accessible video games and the internet was kind of starting up um but I think that our generation was really kind of the first where we had like this wealth of knowledge everybody could find these particular things that they were interested in and you could meet people in real life or online who are also interested in those things. And so you grew up, you grasped onto those, and those were the things that became our identity. And I think that Pokemon, and I think that similarly, Harry Potter, like is a really big thing for a lot of people in our generation. Those were kind of those things that came out nine, you know, later nineties, and they became communities, they became identities. Um, so there's that sort of like entitlement and that that protective nostalgic thing that pulls us to that and I think that's where you know some of these feelings kind of come from it's maybe not necessarily like it was marketed to us as kids as much as when we were kids these started becoming communities and identities and we latched on to those 
Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And I think Kayla had a good point too, saying like Go wasn't just kids playing. Um, so that it's so strange to me, like now that you guys have brought that up, that, you know, they would make a game like Let's Go, which as you play that, like it, it's very evident they're treating you like a kid. Like some of the moves are called like Flappy Flap or, <laughs> you know, things, Splishy Splash, things like that. Like they're, they're treating you like you're a kid, but they wanted to grab the audience of Pokemon Go, which I feel like was not kids. I feel like it was just people that wanted a casual, easy to like pick up and play Pokemon game. And like those, those are, you know, those aren't necessarily the same thing. Like I think you can make a, an, a Pokemon game that's easy to pick up and play for the Go audience and for children that also still has the depth that longtime fans want. Like I do, I do not think that a game that caters to Go, a game that caters to children, and a game that cater, caters to hardcore fans, I don't think those are three mutually exclusive things. And I think that's really what I'd love to see Game Freak learn from this scenario, is that you can do all three at once. Yeah, I guess that's an interesting thing, too, to me, is, like, I think that, yeah, the saying, like, X thing is for kids, definitively, is, like, reductive a lot of the time. Um, but, like, I can, I can definitely see, like, even outside of, like, if, if, like, Pokemon, if, like, Sword and Shield just came out and it didn't have all this history, right, I feel like people would still give it to children because, like, the few adults that I know who have kids, their kids have Switches, and it's, you know, a cute, wholesome, relatively easy-to-pick-up game that is charming and, like, you know, something that, like, a 20-hour game for, like, a seven-year-old is probably fairly worthwhile but can i chime in on that um, and yeah. say though that like then can we argue that like super mario is just a kid's game because i feel like people would lose their fucking shit if we said that but like my my nieces they all have they all have switches and that was like the game that i was recommending their parents get them was super mario odyssey because mm-hmm. like yeah it's a short game that anyone could get into it's got you know, kid themes to it. But if I were to be like, yeah, Mario is a kid's game, I think people would be like, oh, how dare you say that? You know, I think it's the same thing. Well, and I think, I, I think, I, I mean, I would make that argument, honestly. Um, I think, like, again, I'm not saying that I think these games are games for kids specifically, but I think, like, Nintendo makes its bread and butter off of being, like, quote-unquote family-friendly. Um, and I think, so my, my thing with it more was less, like, I don't think that these games are specifically for kids. Like, I think anybody who wants to fucking play them should play them. Um, but I do wonder about, like, how you balance that kind of stuff, just because, like, I, I don't know very much about the Pokemon competitive scene, but I think about, like, when I used to be really into Overwatch, it always felt like there was a disconnect between what they were, the changes they were making as far as, like, quality of life for the competitive and pro scene versus, like, quality of life for the, like, more, like, quote-unquote casual or just, like, like people who weren't as interested in, like, doing it as a, like, a competition or an esport. And so I do kind of wonder how you balance those elements in a way that feels good for most. That's that's the the weird part about Pokemon that they, like, surprisingly have gotten right and then I think they, they actually just took it away. They, like, never really balance stats. Like, Pokemon didn't change from generation to generation. 
they would just try to make new ones that would counter old strong ones. Um, and th th like that was their way of balancing the meta, is they would try to, you know, make new interesting Pokemon that competitive players would be happy with, but then casuals were also happy with that just because it was a new Pokemon. Like, you don't have to be mad that they, you know, changed Pikachu's special attack and that he's suddenly a sucky Pokemon anymore. It's just, you can still use Pikachu, but if you're going to play competitively, you're probably not going to use Pikachu. Um, and then they, they added onto that more with, like, Mega Evolutions. Like, competitive players, some of them, you know, like, loved those. They looked cool. They, like, changed stats. And then casual players loved them because, you know, they were usually aimed at, like, fan-favorite creatures and, you know, gave them, like, a new form. Like, everyone loved that Charizard got fan service. Everyone wanted, like, Flygon to get fan service. Um, like... I, I get the comparison, mm -hmm. but, like, Pokemon doesn't want to treat itself as an eSport most of the time. Mm -hmm. So, like, just the way they, they go about their balancing to, like, circumvent that is, it, it, like, it's already kind of their solution. It's, and it's, it's especially, like, noticeable when you're, when you're talking about, you know, like, Odyssey or even Breath of the Wild. You know, you could almost make the argument that Breath of the Wild, like, Zelda has kind of been, you know, kid preteen games, and Breath of the Wild's very colorful. I'm not going to straight up call it a kid's game, but I've seen a lot of little kids enjoy it, just running around, picking things up, hitting things with sticks, like, experimenting with that. And, you know, a lot of adults still get that enjoyment out of that game. Same with Mario Odyssey. You know, you can beat the game and go back into it and go for harder challenges. So it's weird to then see Pokemon be something like, no, we're going to take some of those harder challenges out. Mm -hmm. Like, we're actually like, no, you can't do the Battle Frontier that you loved, or like, no, you can't go create a team with 900 different creatures because like 60% of those are gone. Um, like, it, it, it's like they wanted to do the same style of thing that Odyssey and Breath of the Wild did, but they, they missed part of the larger picture, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, I, again, like, I don't think that these are like, games for kids i just think it's interesting that they kind of oh, right, have that yeah. duality to them and so it's interesting to see like mm -hmm. how they may be balanced especially like from y'all who are like way more versed in pokemon stuff because i'm genuinely like i don't know how you balance that like i even noticed in the intro to shield when i was talking to chris yesterday like you can tell at least at the very beginning that they very much like know that this is going to be a lot of people's first pokemon game and like you can you can really 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 tell that at the front and i didn't love it but i also don't know how you would fix it because like you do have to correct for that right like every game is going to be somebody's first game so i don't know it's interesting i feel like game freak has a lot of very fine lines they had to walk here <laughs> i think nintendo as a whole like it's it's really just kind of a challenge Nintendo has this reputation of being family friendly and family friendly. I think so many people are quick to jump like to automatically assume that means for kids, you know, mm -hmm. or like for growing families. But I tend to see family friendly as just like for everyone, you know, rated E for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, I do think it's totally fair, though, Caitlin, for you to bring up the fact that like it is more of a kid's game, even if it's like, you know, I, I would kind of lean more on the side of like it not being that. But like, you know, that every single you know, like PR teams get together and like there is definitely an intended audience. Every game, every piece of media, everything is, every product is made with an intended audience. And I think that like, 
we'd be kind of kidding ourselves if we didn't imagine like these people got into a room and the first people that they thought of were, you know, ages seven through 12. You know, like, I, I think that that I, and I don't know, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to fly to <laughs> Nintendo headquarters and enter one of their meetings and be like, okay, tell me about these demographics. But like, that's, that's what I would imagine. I think that it goes beyond that, but I think that's probably where it starts. Right. I mean, and, and you're right. Like, I, I think that's exactly what it is, but I, I feel like it, it's just a lot of fans that are no longer in that demographic are like, should they aim it? towards people that are 7 to 12 and and I think that's that's just an answer we're not going to have yeah. for a while. I think and I think they're just trying to experiment with it, see what's going on and I think that's also what a lot of people were hoping the answer lied with let's go mm-hmm. because it seemed like they were going, you know, that it seemed like they were finally splitting it like they were making let's go for children 7 to 12 and they would be making sword and shield for you know people like 15 plus or something like that and i I think it's and it's gonna be oh sorry go ahead go ahead no i was i was pretty much finished oh and i should say i think it's just it's kind of a period of growing pains you know because i think Mm -hmm. um pokemon still means a lot to me not as much as you know it probably used to mean like there are definitely other franchises that i've I've always been more invested in but I, i love pokemon i remember one of the first like themes that my room was done in was Pokemon. <laughs> I had a Pokemon comforter. I had like a Pikachu, like my whole room was Pokemon. Um, but, you know, as an older sister to a 10 year old and an 11 year old, my 11 year old sister, Natalie, wears a Pikachu hoodie to school almost every day, you know, and they both love Pokemon. They, um, they don't have the new one yet, but it's like, I, that's, they're going to get it for Christmas, you know, like <laughs> um, they, they love it. They could, they, are able to tell you, you know, not even just like the, like I could go back and I could tell you 50 and then I could do a lot of others, like, you know, pretty well, but like those 150 were, you know, the R150 that we kind of grew up on. So we know it. Um, but it's like, they can, they can tell you everything about it. You know, like they, they know more Pokemon than I do at this point. Um, and they're still, they collect cards. Like I remember she found my cards at my mom's house and was like, Hey, like if you're not using these, can I ha- like have these? Cause these are really cool. And I was like, yeah, like I don't need to hang on to a box full of these. Go ahead. Um, you know, people at their school, they, they trade cards. They, they battle. Like it's still part of, you know, the zeitgeist, <laughs> like, and that's so cool. You know, I'm not saying that it's more for her than it is for me. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, it's something to where when you get older, you kind of, I guess it's cool that I have younger sisters because I can kind of see like the things that, you know, we have in common, the things that didn't go away, the things that mean a lot to them, at least through, you know, my lens that I do have. Um, I don't know. I just think it's important to kind of understand that, I guess. It just seems hard. Yeah, like I said, I think it's it's some serious growing pains. Like, how do you, you know, how do you preserve something while also like creating it with the intent of of it carrying on? You know what I mean? It's it's a lot. It's a tall order. Yeah, and I I just think when these when these games originally got started, I just don't think they realized what a long tail they were gonna have to they were gonna have, and like. I mean, no one could have predicted, like, how the internet and how video games were going to develop and stuff, and it's just, I don't know, it just seems like such a tricky thing to have to figure out how to balance 
nostalgia and bringing in new players. And who are those new players? Are they kids? Are they adults? Are they experienced gamers? Are they not? Like, it's just wild. I mean, like, you you hear rumors that, like, Gold and Silver were, you know, planned to be the sequels, but also, like, the last games they did. Like, they they only planned on making those and then quitting, Mm -hmm. and then it just took off more. So you gotta wonder, like, did they expect this to just be one of those, like, obscure you know, 80s, 90s cartoons that sort of die off and then, you know, 20 years later get, like, a Netflix reboot, that sort of thing. Like, did they... And it's interesting to, you know, watch people make content like that now and, and, you know, try to figure out that same same path. Like, do we make this for it to last or do we make it, you know, as its own self-contained one-off? And I I don't know. Like, I think, I think, I think you guys are right. I think it's, it's just a um it it's a an unfortunate but like interesting byproduct of that being one of the first like crazes of of our generation yeah cuz i mean like and i i even kind of thought about it before i because i was thinking that claim that community and identity around media kind of happened but it's like sure there were other um cultural phenomenons you know what i mean like everybody would watch like i love lucy or like even the flintstones and the jetsons and like those kind of those cartoons from you know earlier but i i don't think that like i don't think that things grabbed quite as hard and maybe that's just me not really knowing you know but it just it seems to me like things kind of changed with with pokemon and harry potter and stuff i think there was like definitely like an arcade culture too you know what i mean but I mean, I don't, I think I, we're starting to spiral into a little bit of a different topic, but I think, I mean, it connects. And I think it's the fact that, like, when we were kids, it seems like media really started going for, like, stuff that could be attractive to, like, people's personalities, you know? Because, like, a lot of the yeah. stuff that you mentioned before, like, was, like, kind of generic sitcoms that, like, everybody, like, you know, probably enjoyed, but, like, probably wasn't rabid for at the time. I know now there are people who are very nostalgic for them. Um, but, like, with Pokemon you've got all the different designs, right? And, like, you've got your starters. It kind of goes back to that thing that we talked about with the Fire Emblem episode of, like, things that let you categorize yourself, I think, are very appealing to people. And, like... Yeah, I mean, it's the difference between looking into a window versus... You know what I mean? Like, I... A lot of... And I think that you you said it well with, like, a lot of those older things kind of, like, you're viewing what somebody has made. I think that, you know, as technologies improved and the conversations we have about media have kind of become more common and, and that's just something that we we talk about. Like we see ourselves in things more and it it changes the experience. It makes it more of an experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well I think it makes you more invested too, because it gets into that like teams thing like even at the beginning we were like oh groogie gang and sobble squad like yeah yeah right which like i talked about this in an article for fanbyte like you can tell by their social media campaign they're like they've made these pokemon for specific people like for certain personalities Mm -hmm. and you can see that they've kind of wanted to do that for a while and they've leaned into it and like to see them go full force on this at the same time as they're like, also, we're going to be cutting your favorites, is like, you want people to get, like, rabidly attached to these things, but then you're also going to stop including them in the future games. Like, I don't know how they want us to react. Like, I don't, 
I don't I don't know how to react either. Like I it's just there's no right answer to some of this on either end. Like I don't think I don't think it's necessarily fair to say like oh I need to keep my mouth quiet, but I don't think it's necessary for me to say like you guys need to just put all damn like 1000 of these in the game and just do what I say. Like it's just we're in like really murky waters. At I this feel point. like yeah. I've been kind of like a buzzkill on this episode because uh, <laughs> of opinions, <laughs> but also just a thought that popped into my head too when we're talking about like growing pains and you know, did they intend for Pokemon to go this far and for us to latch onto it? But like nintendo and game freak are still corporations and they're still making money off of us so at the same time like Mm -hmm. uh they did latch us on so and then maybe that comes in with the entitlement again i guess but um i don't know i'm in a in a shitty box here where i'm like they could have kept it casual and hardcore like they could have they've done it in the past um they could have done it so i don't really know where where they were going with this um but that's my take. i don't think that makes you a i don't think that makes you a buzzkill at all like, <laughs> no. i think, like, I think, I think that you and is totally valid yeah you and dylan both have like you know different issues that you guys have with the game and i think that's why we're talking about this is because like it's frustrating and the overall concept of this or like you know i guess like thing we really wanted to discuss with this episode was like when valid criticism or even like you know, complaints, like you get kind of converted or covered because of like this abuse and and this harassment and bullying. Um, I don't think that there's anything wrong with being like, I didn't like this thing. Like, I think this thing kind of sucked. Like, I I wish this would have been in here. Like, that's just being human. We're allowed to have opinions. We're allowed to vocalize it, whatever. It just turns into like how we do things. Like Kayla, if you were on Twitter and you were like, tagging people who work for Game Freak and being like, fuck you, I'm a hardcore gamer. Like, <laughs> I'd be like, Kayla, what the fuck are you doing? Like, Kayla, like, you're out. Like, gotta go. <laughs> Kayla, you're fired, which, actually. Which I would but, never do because that's fucking no. garbage and, like, don't do that to people. Like, complain yeah. all you want, but, like, also, like, realize, am I gonna complain? Like, are my feelings towards developers? No. Because the the developers, let's be real, they probably didn't make these decisions. So, no, I'm not mad at them. And I'm not going to complain to anybody except for this podcast because there's things that I'm really irritated about. But, you know, just like Dylan said, when we're finished with this podcast, I'm going to go play Pokemon. I'm going to finish the game. I'm going to catch all the Pokemon that are available for me to catch. And I'm going to try to shiny hunt and I'm going to figure it out. But I'm still going to be salty about other things. So... Yeah, yeah. That's well, totally that's fine. totally I, valid. And I feel like the thing that you brought up that I think is super interesting, too, is the fact that it's like it's corporate. Right. And like, that's what's so confusing to me is that I feel like in games so often, like with the arena net stuff, right, like with the firing of Jessica Price and that other guy, it was like, we love the fans. The fans are great. Don't talk shit to the fans. Like, and they've kind of bred that with Pokemon in the sense of like, you love Pokemon. You love this Pokemon. This one's your favorite. This is your team. This is your competitive build, whatever. This is your contest Pokemon. Like, you know, whatever. But then at the same time, it's like what Dylan said, like, then they removed them. And I don't get it because I would so much more understand the evil corporate strategy of, oh, this cute little drawing of a monster. You love it. Give us all your money for it. 
versus like the attachment and then removing it. Right. Like they've done the one thing that they themselves set up their own marketing to never do. Like they, I feel like they could have cut almost anything in this game and not have gotten this level of backlash. They could have cut out like, you know, hold items or like the breeding feature or, you know, like different, like the, the TMs that you use to teach Pokemon moves. And mm -hmm. like, you still would have had very justified, like, um, people like harping on it, but like to go 20 years and be like, which one's your favorite guys? And then suddenly be like, Oh, well, they're not making it to the next one. Please don't get so mad. Like it's just a game is like you, you taught us it can be more than a game. And now you're a little mad that we're mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like, and I just, for anybody listening who like feels frustrated by a thing and like, I, like I said, it gets so hard. It's so hard to navigate entitlement versus valid criticism or or even like not everything has to be like this highly constructed you know because i think when when i say criticism i generally mean like looking at things through a certain lens and you know thinking critically about something i don't think that i think that just you know voicing complaints is totally valid too you know you you have a right to feel that way i think where it gets bad is when you're you know shitting on other people for having their feelings yeah like or don't you're not liking something that you do like you know i and once again even that gets blurry because if you are upset that people like something that is like ethically or like to your core values like upsets you once again different story but yeah there's you know, more important things than pokemon in the world so like yeah we're not gonna attack devs over that i mean if the devs were like yeah. uh i don't know let's uh you know what i'm not even gonna make a, a scenario i don't want to do that but if they were doing something very bad, I might at one of them and be like, go fuck yourself. But obviously they're not. So like, yeah. we're not going to go there. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's, it, if it were like a practice thing, that would be one thing. But, um, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I think it comes down to like, people have to have a, people just have to be kind. And I don't mean that in that centricity, like spread positivity and love way. It's just like, I think that there's just a, a kindness that's really lacking in a lot of the Pokemon discourse and just some understanding on both sides, understanding with people being frustrated and understanding with, you know, especially with devs, like, God, why do we attack devs? Like the C-suite is like the, the ones who make these decisions mm -hmm. and, and who execute all of this. And like, we go after devs who are sitting at a fucking desk for, you know, two years or a year and a half, like working on the, you know, the models and the animations for six different Pokemon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right, like, why? Welcome to my podcast of Jessica. <laughs> Jessica's of <what>? a Libra. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh my god! <laughs> Every single podcast we record together, I'm like, the Libra is jumping out, asking for the fairness <laughs> yeah, on I both am, sides. I am the most Libra Libra who ever. Okay, I <laughs> really true. am. It's a fucking curse. <laughs> I think, yeah, I mean, obviously all of that is entirely spot on. I just find the Pokemon thing so interesting because it's such a weird, like what Dylan said, like it's murky waters. Yeah. Because they like kind of made the bed that they now have to lie in. And it kind of feels like fucked up no matter what you do. 
Well, it's like it even kind of like reminds me of No Man's Sky also. You know what I mean? And it's like implicit promises versus explicit promises. You know, like you you become accustomed to a certain thing or you you feel like you're promised a certain thing and then something comes out and you're like, "Mm, this doesn't really match up with my expectations. And it's like, at what point are you responsible for your expectations and are at what point are they kind of responsible for your expectations, you know? And like that, obviously, it, an emotional response happens. <laughs> yeah. It's just, Pokemon is truly wild, which is why <laughs> they now have wild areas. <laughs> there which you also, go. If- okay, can we talk about, is anyone else just like getting their ass handed to them in the wild areas all the fucking time? Oh, for sure. Okay, it's terrifying. Cool. And, and like, <laughs> and even like things that are my level, like, or even like slightly lower level than my team. Like there was a Farfetch that was like level 14 that like destroyed my entire team and then refused to be caught. I had to spend like 20 Pokeballs on this motherfucker just to like throw him in a box. Mm-hmm. I just hate that they all chase after you. Like, it's really scary. <laughs> I do like that there's some that are, like, really aggressive about chasing after you and some that aren't. I feel like it plays into their little Pokemon personalities really well. Um, I think it's very cute. But, yeah, honestly, like, especially because, like, I just, like, you know the ones that are, like, outside of the grass that are just wandering around? I finally I finally learned my dumb bitch lesson that those ones are always going to be real buff. Um so I have stopped going them. But there were so many times last night where I was like kind of high playing and I was like, oh, a Pokemon. And then Chris just heard me go, oh, fuck. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think that might be a show. Um, I, think, I think it is. Good work, everyone. We did it. Go um, team. <laughs> so, uh, Jess, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you all can find me at Twitter. That is where I live. That is my hidey hole. <laughs> that and uh, my at is uh, Jessicogs. J E S S A C O G S. And Kayla, you can find me at Twitter. Um, at O A Kayla, and that's me. That's all my shit is right on there. <laughs> cool. And Dylan, where can people find you? I also swim in Twitter a lot, so just, uh, I'm at Dillbill, that's D-Y-L underscore B-Y-L. Nice. And, uh, you can read Dylan's stuff online, too, um, like on Fanbyte. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna link your Fanbyte article on Pokemon. Okay, some of it, some of it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, like, every writer's experience, I feel like, on podcasts. Or- <laughs> getting plugged, like, yeah, it's, it's good. <laughs> Oh, you also have an art account, don't you, Dill? Oh, yeah. Um, that's that's linked on my main Twitter. I'm not even going to promote that here right <laughs> now just because it's, I don't know. That's I'm, I'm here for Pokemon and only Pokemon. That's fair. <laughs> um, cool. And you can find me on Twitter at CGN8Rs. Pound Around is a product of Uppercut, which you can find on all social media at UppercutCrit and UppercutCrit.com. Uh, if you want to hang out with the Uppercut crew, you can join our Discord. The link will be in the episode description. Um, and if you want to join our Discord but have a cool separate role, you can go to patreon.com slash uppercutcrit and support us on Patreon. Just $2 gets you the special Discord role and our bonus episode every month. Um, and other stuff that I can't remember right now. 
and uh yeah it's it's good and cool also uh sorry this is the first palette ad episode we've recorded since we launched the discord so i'm gonna read our patreon producers real quick as soon as patreon decides hey. to cooperate with me um but yeah so let's see patrons yeah producers hell yeah y'all are like cute and funny and stuff Jesus Christ. I told you, I'm a Libra. I gotta flirt with them a little bit, okay? Jesus. Ridiculous. <laughs> gotta give them a little, little something something. You are a ridiculous human being. Anyway. Just uh, pretend, pretend listener, that I'm, I'm rubbing my hand on your bicep right now. <laughs> you've, you've, you've been hitting the gym a lot. It's feeling good. Jesus Christ. <laughs> anyway. Our Patreon producers as of this episode are Abnormal Mapping, Adam Lazara, Andrew Rivera, Chris Nelson, DJ Kento, Jared Shu, Cam Koenig, Mikey Phillips, Philip Villar, Quentin Hoffman, Mario Rivera, and Tom Coots. If I said I any of those wrong, I'm very sorry. I would like to address the fact, because I noticed this when you sent me the Patreon list, Adam Lazara is the lead singer of Taking Back Sunday. <laughs> So every time I see that, I'm like, man, is Taking Back Sunday backing us? <laughs> I think they are. Yeah, so Adam Lazara, if you're the lead singer of Taking Back Sunday, you wrote some bops. <laughs> she especially wants to touch your bicep. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Cons- consensually, consensual bicep touching. I, I, like, I, once I said it, I was like, man. Like, man, I really don't want this girl to touch my bicep, even if it's just her saying it. So, like, if you want me to touch your bicep, just like a little tap. <laughs> we should probably stop now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's gonna do it for us. Uh also, if you don't have money to throw at us for Patreon, that's cool. Uh you could uh send us uh to your friends. Or if you rate or review us on podcast services, that'd be dope, too. Um, And yeah, we're going to end this now before it becomes any more of a shit show. (laughs) Bye. 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 Saker. And I'm Evan. And our podcast is It's All Been Done, a Bare Naked Ladies podcast. Hey, what's that podcast about, Ev? So, do you know of a band called Bare Naked Ladies? One week. Yeah, yeah, that's one of them. Okay, all right, cool. Yeah, I know yeah, of them. Yeah. Do you ever want to learn more about them? Or... Absolutely not. <laughs> okay, well, then this is the podcast for you because we teach you nothing with various guests. Yeah, like uh, like Matt Besser. Holy we shit. Climbed in a second story window and partied in this house where we barely. Didn't know at all the people. That was crazy. Holy fuck, Mike Mitchell! Why? Well, I, I don't know how how like how much you guys really do love bare naked ladies. Justin McElroy, grab your tongue, grab your tongue, and I want you to say Our "born tongue. on a pirate ship." Born on a pirate ship. You were born on a pile of shit, and many more. So check it out. But also, if you don't like bare naked ladies, we talk about them probably like a third of the time. So. Uh, yes. That's every Tuesday, wherever fine podcasts are sold. We could make a board game about it.